This message is provided by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. Pastor Jason Swanson is our senior pastor here at Rancho Baptist Church, and this message was recorded during one of our regular Sunday morning services. Pastor Jason is in part two of a series on the heart, and today he's looking at James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, in a warning against worldliness. Let's join Jason now in his sermon entitled, Winning the War. Here's Jason. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to the, to the book of James, chapter 4. James chapter 4, and, and we're going to continue on in this series that, that we began last week, looking at the fundamental problem of man, which we all learned last week, is this man's heart. And today we're going to talk about winning the war. We're going to see from God's, God's Word what, what this war is, what His answer is to, to the war. So follow along with me as, as I read out loud God's wonderful word. James chapter 4 verses 1 to 10. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the Scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the Spirit which He has made to dwell in us, but He gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning, and your gloom and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and He will exalt you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we recognize that, that we need You. We need Your Holy Spirit for guidance. We need Your Word for direction. We pray that You would speak to us this morning through Your Word. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. So what we're going to be looking at today is is really the the war. The war within, the war with God, the, the weapon of victory, the way of victory. And and we're going to notice right from the start that that it's talking about quarrels and conflicts and and I and I think that if you're like me, you you you've probably run into quarrels and conflicts before. Maybe within your own home, but, but actually sometimes it, it, it comes into the church, right? And, and people don't always get along. And that happens. And, 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 and I must say that I saw that happen quite a lot in Papua New Guinea. And one time actually it, it, it was 
yeah, like no other thing that I've seen before, actually, as I've communicated to you all before, that, that oftentimes church and, and, and the way that things went along there weren't, um, yeah, your textbook picture perfect church functioning. And so we came home on a home assignment. We went back to Papua New Guinea and we had heard that there was a little bit of, of um, division going on w- w- within the church. And what had happened was um, a, a man named Joseph who had been, God had saved him through the preaching of the word. He was from a, a neighboring village and, and he, through a, a series of false teachers, um, started coming back to our village and teaching all sorts of weird things. And, 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 and the, the believers there were at, at first um, being kind and gracious to him and listening to him. And then after a while, there were dividing lines that grew. And these lines grew stronger and stronger into arguments, into fistfights, into bows and arrows. And finally, Joseph and his little group was basically sent out of our village and, and said, hey, you guys cannot come back until Jason comes back and, and he'll figure everything out and straighten everything. And, <laughs> yeah. And so I come back and I come back in, into our village and I leave my family out in the town so that you guys would not believe what a house looks like after you leave it unattended for a year and in the tropical rainforest. And so I came in to clean up my house and to check on the church and to, and to encourage them. So I show up at church that first Sunday after being gone a year, and 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 lo and behold, um, Joseph, this this guy that had been involved in this false teaching, he preaches, and as he comes up to to this makeshift podium, he he bows like incredibly low as he's coming up to the podium, like way down here as he walks up, which is kind of strange. <laughs> and then he gets up, and his wife comes up to him before he starts, and she has a, a two handfuls of flower petals and she throws them hard boom in his face the other one boom in his face and she says you are blessed in English which I'm sure they don't know what that means and he says thank you for the blessing back to her in English and then he starts preaching but but after the first 30 seconds he, he no longer has the Bible his eyes are closed and he's just screaming and for the next 20 minutes, that, that, that's what Joseph was doing. Just screaming and talking and, and had his eyes closed. And at one point, if you can actually believe this, there's a post that's probably five feet away from Joseph. And I was watching him as he was preaching. And I was thinking, buddy, you are going to hit that post. And sure enough, halfway into his sermon, boom! And he hits it and he falls right on his back. And he, and he lies there for a minute. And then he jumps up and goes, praise you, Jesus, again in English. And I, I had no idea where this came from. He finishes his sermon and, and he and, and, and this whole ensemble of people that had come with him go outside and they, and they get in a single file line right outside of our church, right down the steps, and they all have their hands out. And every one of the believers in our village go out the steps, walk down the, these steps, and shake everybody's hand as they walk down. And I'm looking at this going, huh, what, what is going on? And there's a couple guys in front of me and I'm listening to what everybody's saying as they're going down this line and everybody is saying, thank you, this heavy is now settled. Which is their way of saying that this grievance that we had, this division, this quarrel, this conflict, 
we, man, everything's good. And so as I come out, I'm, I'm the last guy, Joseph reaches out to me to take my hand. And I look at him and, and, I, and I talk to him in our, in our tribal language, the heart language, and, and I say, okay, by me taking your hand, is that communicating to you that we're all good? And that what you've done here, I'm in agreement with. And he says, yes. And I said, oh, well then. I'm sorry, I can't shake your hand. Not not now. Not with all this confusion that, that you've caused before I came and now I've actually seen it with my own eyes and I'm confused. No, no Joseph, I love you. You are a brother in Christ. But but man, we need to talk. And, and, and I held like a quick little two-minute um, meeting with everybody and said, hey, we, we need to meet further about this. And, 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 and I say all that to say that, that Conflicts and, and, and quarrels, they, they do happen. That, that is the reality. And, and, but why does it happen? Last week we looked more, more from a broad perspective of the way that the heart is, right? And the way that our actions don't stem out of nothing. That our actions come from our hearts. Today we're actually going to zero in a little bit more. And we're going to see, man, why, why are there these conflicts? Now, now in, in our village I recognize it was false teaching. But that isn't what facilitated everything. They didn't have to go to blows. They didn't have to, to go to bow and arrows and start shooting each other, right? That was because of desires that their hearts were holding on to. And these very desires are the things that, that James chapter 4 talks about. So let's see what, God word, what God's Word has to say about this. This war. Like I said in, in your bulletin, if you, if you like to fill in the blanks, we, we can do this right from the start. And we're going to look at the first three verses, which, which is the war within. This is the war of, of our hearts with pleasures and passions that, that our hearts grab onto. We're going to go from the war within to the war with God. That's verses 4 and 5. And that's worldliness. And what we're going to see is that at times our hearts lead us to want to be friends with the world rather than in love with our God. Number three, we're going to see the weapon of victory. What does God's Word say that, that we need to exercise? What do we need to, to put on in order to, to do battle? Exactly, Stan. What, what do we need to put on? The weapon of victory is humility. Verses 6 and 7. And finally, we're going to see that, that there's a way of victory. And that comes only through repentance. And we're going to see that in verses 8 to 10. Now, now I recognize that we're, again, just dropping into the book of James and it would have been so much better for me to start in chapter 1 and, and, and work our way through and, and everything would have fit um, so much easier but, but that's okay. God's Word is God's Word. So we can drop in from, from 10,000 feet and, and get our bearings and, and understand exactly what God's Word is teaching here. So I'd like to give just a little bit of background because this book, to, to be honest, many of you maybe know this, this is a bit of a contested book. If Martin Luther was here right now, he, he would not be happy. He didn't like the book of James. He actually didn't think it should be part of Scripture. Why? Because he thought that it, that it was antithetical to justification by faith alone. He thought it was teaching a, a, a new justification 
that you are saved as an eternal salvation by what you do. But, but that isn't what the book of James is teaching. Actually, the, the book of James takes what Paul's emphasis is, like say in the book of, of Romans, and it's there in Galatians, and actually it's there in Ephesians too. It's all over the place in the writings of Paul. The, the, the idea of justification by faith alone, and it adds that, that the saving faith is never actually seen alone. That true saving faith exp- expresses itself through our actions, through our works. That doesn't mean that it's through your works that you are saved. It's, it's showing us that, hey, if you are truly saved, that if your faith is the true salvific kind of faith that is saving faith, then there's going to be actions. There's going to be work that happens. And, and another thing that, that, I, that I think is very important for where we're going to go is, man, who is this book written to? Was this book written to unbelievers? Those that did not know our, our Lord? No, this, this book was written to believers over, over like 15 times. James calls them what? He calls them brethren. In Papua New Guinea, they had a, an extremely cool way to say this. Teke Abo. Teke is your younger sibling. Abo is your older sibling. And, and they join the two words to, to come up with like this idea of brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ. When it says brethren, it's not separating it and saying that, that, the, that the ladies who have trusted in Christ aren't included. No, it's a general term for all believers. Those that are close to, to James. And, and so this is written to brothers, to brethren, to sisters in Christ. And I believe what we see here in, in chapter 4 in these verses is a picture of the struggle of sin in the life of a believer who still has to deal with what? Indwelling sin. Once we were saved, you do not become perfect. Right? If I were to ask all of you perfect people to stand up, you're doing it right now. <laughs> right? It'd be none of us. <laughs> we are... Once you're saved, you don't become perfect. Yes, our status in regards to sin has changed. Sin no longer what? It no longer reigns. It no longer has the power on you and I like it did before we were saved, but it still remains. The flesh, the heart, our ungodly desires, they've been altered, but they have not been eradicated there's still a war going on. And, and you and I know this is the reality in our own lives, do we not? The believer has been given a new nature, a new heart, the ability to renew their mind and to help us in this struggle, this battle. So let's look at verses 1 to 3 and unpack first this war within. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. And in, in, in these first three verses with the, the war within, what we see is that the heart produces three sinful misdirected desires. That's what our heart produces in us. 
We're going to see first that, that there's uncontrolled desires. Then we're going to see that there's unfulfilled desires. And finally, we're going to see that there's selfish desires. Selfish desires. Look, look with me at, at verse 1. He starts off with, what is the source? That seems very similar to what, to what we looked at last week in, in Proverbs chapter 4. And, and, and what, what did we learn about what, what is the source of where all of our problems come from, all of our sinful behavior? The, the source is from the heart. Literally, even though the, the verb to cause something to happen isn't in the text, literally what, what this is getting at is, is he's asking, what is causing the fights to happen inside you? When it, when it talks about source, there's, there's an indication in there that, that it originates near the speaker. And, and as I was studying this, you know, when, when, when it says that, that the source of pleasures that wage war in your members, a lot of commentators would, would actually go to members and say, oh, that's the problem. It was membership. It was the other people in the church. That, yeah, that's our problem. <laughs> it's all of you. <laughs> no, no, that isn't what it's saying. Okay, yes. It, at times, man, if, if someone sins towards me, the way that I respond then may not be great, but, but the ultimate problem is me. And it's my members. And that members in, in, in the Greek is, is talking about our physical bodies, our flesh, a.k.a. our hearts. That that is what's active. And so what we see first in these misdirected desires is an uncontrolled desire. That word pleasure, it's, it's the Greek word hedonon where we get hedonist from. And, and a, a real easy way to define hedonism is, is the end of all man's purpose is his own pleasure. It's given to the love of pleasure rather than to the love of God. That, that, that's it in a nutshell. You care more about your own pleasure than you do about anything else and that's what you live for. And because that's what you live for, these desires wage war inside you. And they'll wage war with everything and anything that opposes them or stands in their way. Now the saddest part about this entire story is that for the unsaved, the unconverted, the unregenerate, they're lost in this battle and they can never win. They can never win. They can never overcome their flesh. Right? They, they have no answer to the deceitfulness and the wickedness of the heart that we saw last week for the unsaved. But that is not the case for us as believers. That's why our salvation is so rich, so deep, so wide. And why God's grace is so amazing. So that would be the uncontrolled desire where, you, where your heart just grabs after whatever pleases it. And then he goes on in, in, in verse 2 and he says, you lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. This then are, are unfulfilled desires, right? When it talks about lust, it's, it's to have a strong desire to do or to secure something. And oftentimes, what, what happens is we see a progression. And at first you have this uncontrolled desire where, where all that you want is what pleases you. And then this becomes an unfulfilled desire 
because you're not getting that, which is what you want. And so then what do you do? You lash out at whatever you need to or whoever you need to in order to make you happy. And in, and in this case, what was it leading to? It wasn't by happenstance that, that, that I used that illustration at the beginning to talk about the, the, the Siawis going to the point to where they were shooting each other. Because it, it says it leads to, to murder. That doesn't seem to make sense. Your, your lusting leads to murder? Yes. Because out of the heart comes all sorts of evil. So then that would be an unfulfilled desire. The end of two and into three gives us another desire that, that our heart produces, and that is a selfish desire. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. This then is, is, is a selfish desire. See, a worldly and godly desire is not only uncontrolled and unfulfilled, but it's also selfish. We see that a heart consumed with self doesn't have God in focus. So much so that they don't even think about praying. Which, I don't know, might be convicting to you. This was convicting to me. How much do you actually pray? Throughout the week. As things come up. As strife, conflict, even maybe quarrels happen. What's your first response? If, if you're like me, it's to fix the problem or, or maybe it's a sinful response. And, and instead of praying, instead of asking God for His help, you know too what, what, what I think is off about this is that not only are they, well at the beginning they're not asking, but then they're asking, but they're asking purely out of their own selfish desires but what they should be asking for is what was mentioned earlier in, in, in chapter 3 at the very end when, when James talks about two kinds of wisdom. And there's a wisdom of this earth which, which just clouds everything. It doesn't bring peace. Instead, it brings disorder and confusion and craziness. That's, that's the wisdom of this world. And then there's a wisdom from heaven. And that does the complete opposite. It, instead of bringing disorder... It makes things reasonable. Instead of bringing chaos, it, it brings peace and calm and, and brings gentleness. So instead of asking for those things, asking for that kind of wisdom, they're only focused on self. And, and God isn't even in the mix. God isn't even being considered. And then we go on in, in, in verses 4 and 5 and, and we get away from the war within and we see where this war now starts to manifest itself outside to others and, and even in the way that our hearts function and, and, and what's important to us at times. Four and five, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or, or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. So a heart consumed with these three desires is, is now described in some pretty strong terms. Right, right at the beginning, he's, he's, he's talking about fellowship with the world. 
That, that word is phileo, which is the, the, the word for brotherly love, right? And, and it has the idea for, for loving something or having affection for something because of a close association with it. Again, we see a contrast going on here. Should, should these things be characteristics of the believer? Think about what he's saying. First, he calls them adulteresses. Then he calls them a friend of the world. Then he says they're hostile towards God. He actually says they're an enemy of God. And finally, in verse 6, he's going to say they're proud. Should that be characteristics of you and I? Should that be characteristics of us as a church at RBC? No. So much so that, that different commentators actually take a look at this and say, hey, you know what? This isn't talking about believer, uh, uh, believers. God's Word doesn't, doesn't ever call a believer an enemy of God once they are a believer. And, and so James has actually transitioned in this little section here. I actually don't follow that, that, that logic, that position. I, it, it does make sense. But I, I believe in the Old Testament, what, how did God refer to the nation of Israel over and over again? You, you adulteresses, right? Yeah. Time and time again. And in, and in Romans chapter 12, Paul tells us to do what about being conformed? Don't be conformed to this world. The implication there is that we can be conformed to this world. That this world can stamp us. That we can be pulled by this world. So, um, I take the position that this could actually refer to either believers or unbelievers. That if it's an unbeliever, he's warning them and trying to bring them to repentance. This is a believer. Then he's, he's trying to warn them and bring them to repentance. Does repentance stop just because we become saved? Man, I hope not. If it is, then then we're living in a whole lot of sin and a broken relationship with God, according to 1 John and, and other places. So could it be here that, that, that there was strife going on in the church and, and that it could have been between believers and unbelievers? Yes. Or could it have been that this was only believers, that the conflict was happening between believers? And I believe the answer is yes. It's the same thing. They go to spirit. And did you notice in your Bible that's a capital S in verse five? That's because the translators, well, at least in my NASB, it depends on what version you have. My NASB, they decided, you know what? This is talking about the Holy Spirit because this is talking about believers. Well, in the Greek, it's just the word spirit. So we don't know if it's man's spirit or the Holy Spirit. And to be honest, I don't know. I don't know that that's not the main point. The main point, if you look at verse 6, is that God is saying, or I'm sorry, verse 5, is that He jealously desires what? Fellowship. He jealously desires you. He jealously desires me. Right? And He seeks after us. That's what we see in Scripture. But in verse 5, we see that either we were worshipers of, of Him or we're worshiping something else. Either we long after God or we're longing after other things. So we've seen the war within, we've seen the war with God that, that, that presents itself so many times in, in a love of the world. And now let, let's see the, the weapon of victory. I love these verses. But 
he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Notice what God's answer is. Grace. Not that we deserve it, but that he lavishes it upon us time and time and time again. But don't miss the significance of of, of what he's communicating. What's the first thing that he says after grace? Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud. This word opposed in in the Greek is very, very powerful, very, very strong. It's it's a military term that means to battle against. And it it literally has the idea of picturing a full army ready for battle. Do do you understand? do, Do you seriously... Think of pride as that important. You, you, do we recognize that, that pride was the thing that, that led Satan to want to become like the Most High and lead all those demons with him? It was the thing in the garden that what? What did, what did Eve really want? And what did Adam really They wanted to be like the Most High. What is that in itself? It's pride. And so what does God say? Man, if there's anything that I'm going to go after, if there's anything I'm going to attack, if there's anything that I'm going to gather the armies of heaven and fight against, it's right here, it's this, it's pride. And what is the big thing that is going to rip apart a church, that is going to rip apart your family? Pride. This is important. This is majorly important. But God gives us the answer to pride. we see that the, that the answer is humility. That we are to humble ourselves. That we are to, to rank under. Literally. To rank under. And, and, and the idea in, in, in the Greek is that you're not doing it. He's commanding us to do it, but he does it in, in such a way in the, in the grammar that, that he's saying, but I'm the one that works in you to want to give you this desire instead of these fleshly desires that that he just talked about in the first three verses to give you a desire to actually come under me and submit to me. But how can we do that? Can you and I do that? Can we actually truly humble ourselves? This this word that that in the Latin is humilis, that that means low, that that is a modest or low view of one's own importance. Can, Can we actually do this? And how do we do this? There's only one answer. And so that there's, there's a point where it's, James has actually given us the weapon before he's given us the means. <laughs> you, you, you can't wield this weapon of humility if, if God has not redeemed you. you you're just going to be opposed by God because of your pride. And you know, the only thing that, that, I, that I really see in Scripture that frustrates the grace of God is pride. It's almost like it, 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 it renders God's grace inoperative. If such a thing could do that. And, and that's why he goes on and, and, and he says in verses 8 and 9, Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy 
into gloom. The way of victory is through repentance. That's what that is talking about. First, we see that that we need to draw near to God. And how can you draw near to God without first trusting Him as your Savior? Right? We've got a sin issue. We all have it. We're all born with it. We're all born into it. And there's no way for us to overcome it in and of ourselves. And that's why Jesus has come. And He's died for us. So, So in a sense, this is definitely talking about repentance unto salvation. Because we cannot draw near to God without God first causing us to come to Him in repentance. And that's why He says, and He will draw near to you, but cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. It it seems like James was written to to Jewish believers because he he puts a lot of emphasis on Old Testament thought and Old Testament teaching. And and what's pictured here is, is out of Leviticus with Moses talking to Aaron as they're getting ready to start the whole priesthood. And, and before any of the priests could go in and offer sacrifices or do anything, do you know what they had to do? They had to wash their hands and they had to wash their feet. Or they would die. <laughs> How do you and I purify our hearts? You can't do that with water. You can only do that through salvation. Through the blood of Jesus Christ through trusting in Him and Him alone. And if you have not trusted Christ this morning, please, please consider that He is the only way to fix this heart problem that you and I have. He's the only way that you can draw near to God, that you can be reconciled to God. And if after the service you would like to talk more about this, please come up and talk to me or or, or some of the guys that are up here. Literally be miserable is to experience distress. It's the act of giving expression to your grief. Literally, it's, it's to be devastated. When was the last time you were devastated over your own sin? When was the last time that you even pictured sin like this? Look, look at what, from being miserable to actually mourning and weeping. That made me think of Peter. Do you remember Peter? And how Jesus comes to him in, 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 in Mark 14. And the rooster crows a second time. And Peter is reminded of what Jesus came and said to him. He said, Peter, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny me three times before that rooster crows two times. And sure enough, when he hears the rooster crow a second time, he's reminded of that. And Do you remember his response? He weeps. He weeps over what? Over his sin. Is that our attitude towards sin? Is that your attitude towards sin? Or do you minimize sin? And do you, ah, it's nothing. It's okay for me to talk to my children like that. It's okay for me to treat my wife like that. It's okay for me to have that thought. It's okay for me to look at that on the internet. It's okay for me, man, you fill in the blank. And we just minimize it, minimize it, defend it, Become callous to it. Instead of becoming miserable, mourning, and literally weeping over it. Turn your joy to gloom. There's there's a reality that 
that we need to recognize how important our own spiritual well-being is and how we deal with our own sin, as well as the sin of us as a body. And finally, he says in verse 10, humble yourself. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and He will exalt you. Again, this is in that same verbal form to where it's not you humbling yourself. It is actually God commanding you to humble yourself, but He's the one doing it. You're passive. Passive. Remember back in school? Hit the ball. Okay. I hit the ball. I'm the subject. I'm active. If I want to make the ball the subject, I say the ball was hit. He, the ball is now the subject and it's passive because the action is being done to the subject. That's what is happening here. He's telling us to be humble, but he's saying, you are the subject and I am active. I'm going to make you humble. Are you going to respond? And that's powerful. Is it not? That our God and His wonderful grace would reach down to us again and again and again. And humble us. You see, the way up is down. The lowly one becomes the lifted one. And there is a marked advantage to humility. In the end, it eventually brings honor. So the point here is clear. Humility is the one way to pure joy and to overcoming our pride and these desires that that we saw earlier. So wrapping everything up, what, what have we seen? We, we've seen the war within and its pleasures. These uncontrolled desires that our heart can push us into. That they're unfulfilled and they're selfish. The war with God that at times we actually become a lover of the world instead of a lover of our God. And sometimes that process is slow and we don't even recognize it. Then we've seen the weapon of victory, which is humility. But we can only truly be humble if God has first given us a new heart through repentance. You know, I, I started off with, with the story of, of Joseph. And, and I think that's a good place to end because I never finished. And, and, and one of the neatest things was that next day when we met, Joseph fully humbled himself. And he said, Jason, I heard some teaching on Acts that, that um, I, I think has, has, has messed me up. He said, you see, I was sitting in my house one night and this blue cloud came down and it enveloped me. And, and from then on, I've, I've, I've just had things to say without consulting God's word. And I've just been teaching, teaching, teaching whatever I want. And and you've brought me back to the Word. And I said, well, let me continue to bring you back to the Word. Come and and listen to the book of Acts. And and he came, and and he's now one of the the leaders of of the church that was planted as an extension of, of, of the church in Siawi, by God's wonderful grace. But what do you and I do with this? First, so, so what can you chew on this week? Man, chew on these two aspects. Pride on the one hand, humility on the other. Let, let's pray this week that God would reveal to you and I those areas of pride 
you, you really you really want to go crazy with this and 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 be serious about the Lord, you husbands ask your wife, what areas you, you appear prideful to her in? Likewise, wives, those of you that are single, ask a good friend of yours. God can help us with this. Humility. Spend some time thinking about being humble what that looks like. Carrying on in this idea of prayer. Um, let, let's pray for, for what's going on at the houseboat camp this week. Thursday in particular is a, a really special time at houseboats. They, they spend like three hours in what they used to call it solitude time. Where you, they, they just spend time alone with the Lord and I worked at houseboats, and I, and I remember many kids saying, what am I going to do? Are you kidding? This is going to be so boring. And yet God would do amazing things in and through that time. Let me close our time in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we thank You for Your Word and for how it teaches us, how it knows us, Lord. And we recognize and we confess that oftentimes we do not do what your word says. We pray that you would lead us to repentance. That you would cause, cause us to be humble. That you would work in our lives, that we would truly be willing to, to bow our desires, our wishes, our plans, our very lives before you. That we might walk with you in the newness of life and experience the joy that only comes from walking with you. And we thank you for your grace. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.com. Org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.